Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion and in this episode we're going to be having one of our interlow episodes. Of course there's no race coming up this weekend. We've got a nice breather before another sprint weekend in Austin for the final leg of the F1 season. But of course we will be discussing some news regarding Andretti. Now for those of you that have been keeping in the loop of what's been going on, you would know as far back as January this year, so throughout the entirety of 2023, the FIA, via its president, Mohamed Ben Salayam, announced that he wanted his team, or wanted the FIA, if you like, to go out and basically find some new prospective entries onto the F1 grid. Now, they set a rigorous application process and criteria, and obviously it was set in different phases, which whittled themselves down to four potential teams, Andretti Cadillac, High Tech, Road In Cars and Lucky Season. Those were the four teams that made the final stages of this particular application progress. Only one was approved and that was by no surprise Andretti Cadillac via General Motors, of course. But now we get to a very interesting part of this phase because Andretti, formally approved by the FIA to enter discussions with F1 and F1 management to agree on a deal with the commercial rights holder to enter a team into the Formula One grid. Now, of course, it sounds great. Um, It sounds easy on the surface. You'd probably be forgiven for thinking that this was going to be fairly straightforward. However, it couldn't be further from the truth. And to discuss how we've got to this position, where it's going to be going, and obviously what the obstacles are going to be, I've got... F1 journalist Sam Cooper, friend of the show, coming on once again to basically go through all of the detail and try to explain what is going to be happening and give our own takes on it as well. So first of all, without any further delay, Sam, thanks for coming on the show once again. How are you doing, mate? Um, obviously, you were feeling a bit rough last time out, but uh, hopefully you're feeling all better now. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I, had, I got COVID, which I firmly thought was like a 2020 thing. Like, I didn't realise it was still going around. It's the first time I've had it, so it's always fun. But um, yeah, I'm feeling better now. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling much better than the drive as well this weekend. I can imagine. At least I wasn't being sick in my helmet and stuff like that. So yeah, excited to talk all things Andretti. Yeah, absolutely crazy stuff. And of course, referring to some of the difficulties that some drivers experienced following the Qatar Grand Prix. And of course, we went into a little bit of detail regarding, in particular, Logan Sargent, who was obviously suffering a bit more than most. But just before we get into that Andretti discussion, I might as well ask, seeing as you brought it up. Were you, what were your reaction to hearing about some of the stories of some of the drivers? I mean, Esteban Ocon, you referenced throwing up a bit. We saw Lance Stroll and Alex Albon struggling to get out of the car after the race. A lot of the drivers were complaining about the extreme heat conditions they suffered during that race. Um, what was your reaction to all of that? Yeah, I just think it's a bit of a joke, really. I think, like, 
uh, like the sport should be like protecting its drivers. Yes, it's dangerous, like kind of thing, but it's not. It's not a surprise that Qatar's going to be hot like in October. Like we know this. Like you, all you have to look at is the World Cup. Like last year, like they obviously had to move it till I can't remember when it started. November, December kind of time. Used to get warm enough to play football, and that's a completely different thing from being strapped to essentially a small rocket with all the heat that comes with that. So yeah, I think yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of Qatar being on the grid anyway, on the calendar anyway, and like it's just another reason why. I don't really buy the argument that drivers should be prepared for it. Like, yeah, you should be prepared for like the G forces that come with a trap. But like, when you've got pretty much all the drivers coming out saying they're exhausted, they've been they've been sick. Some of them say passing out, and like that's just too much. Like, you sh- you need to protect the drivers a bit more. So yeah, I think there needs to be a bit more safety procedures looks into that saying like is there a maximum temperature we can race at and like just a bit more planning really i know qatar's gonna be later next year but like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that qatar might be quite hot in october still yeah absolutely and you know even the locals that were there they were saying that you know even by normal standards it was a little bit hotter than they were expecting but you know the point is still valid that you've made that you know when we had the FIFA World Cup last year, which obviously caused the F1 season to end a little bit early because they didn't want to clash with that. And of course, we were meant to have a Qatar race in 2022 following the race in 21, but that didn't happen. Obviously, they didn't want those to clash. But even then, that all happened in December when it's the same sort of time that we're expecting to have a race uh, next season. Of course, if you believe the 2024 F1 Canada, as it stated, it's the first weekend of December. So track temperatures should be colder or the ambient temperatures should be cooler than they were like like 10 degrees or so but that is a massive difference especially as you said drivers are going to be driving around it's already hot in the cars anyway so hopefully next season when we come back to Qatar it's the conditions should be a little bit better or should be much much more manageable I'm with you I don't subscribe to this idea that some people have touted out Um, one in particular was Martin Brundle and I'll quote his his tweet that he put out uh, on the day of recording on the 9th of or ten, well, the day after recording, actually, on the 9th of October, he was saying that it's races like Qatar and very rainy days which make F1 drivers look the heroes and athletes they are. Absolutely don't buy into the weak view. We shouldn't put them through this kind of challenge. Check out Senna in Brazil, Stuart at rainy Nürburgring, Lauda post-crash, etc., etc. Now, I agree with Martin Brundle in the sense that you know, some of the feats that former drivers of the past achieved that were rather remarkable. But we are talking about very different conditions here to what those three drivers faced with all due respect. And of course, that's not to diminish what they did, especially in the case of Nicky Lauda. I don't think anyone can say that that uh, man was not an absolute marvel of bravery and a hero for that matter. But at the same time, what we saw this weekend, it was extremely hot. It got to the point where drivers were feeling sick. Logan Sargent had to pull out of the race. And I don't necessarily agree that it's a weak-minded view at all, quite the opposite, that so many people are coming out suggesting, look, I know these guys are top-tier athletes, but we shouldn't be pushing them to such degrees where there is a risk, especially at doing 200 miles an hour on a circuit like the sales circuit, where a driver could pass out behind the wheel, which could cause a potential fatal incident. You know, I I don't think that's a good look uh, to suggest that it's a bit weak-minded to think that, you know, we need to just push them as far as they can go because that's what they're trained to do. And just on those free drivers as well. So you got Jackie Stewart, who spent years campaigning for better safety in F1. You've got Nicky Lauder, who refused to drive the Nubber Ring because it was too dangerous. And you've got Senna, who literally died in an Formula One like crash. They just seem like three odd examples of yes, they did quite dramatic races, but those races were due mainly due to the rain, like. And so that's not easy, that predictable. Like, yes, we have forecasts in the much better now than they were then. But like, it's much easier to predict when something's going to be hot than when it's going to rain. So like, I just don't think that example makes much sense. I, I tend to agree with Martin Brother what he says, but I thought that, like you said, that was just, I didn't make much sense to me. Like, I, I, I don't know why you'd say it's weak to try and protect these drivers a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's funny because, and you know, people often say when you cite certain opinions from certain people in the public eye, if you don't agree, it automatically means that you don't like them. I think it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I absolutely love Martin Brundle. I think he's a fantastic broadcaster. Um, arguably one of the best broadcasters F1's ever had. You know, a team, the team of uh, Brundle and Walker was legendary for those that remember that many years ago. 
And as you pointed out, Sam, quite rightly, those examples, whilst they were incredible feats, they were the youngest of the most recent of those was Senna in, was it 91 in Brazil, about 30 odd years ago. So F1 has moved on leaps and bounds since then. And I personally don't, as I said, I don't subscribe to that view. I, I do think I'm, I'm glad that the FIA and F1 are taking this more seriously and they are starting to listen to the drivers. Perhaps this is something that should be considered in other uh, motorsport series as well, which probably have been ignored in similar circumstances. And once again, it requires F1 to have to experience something like this for people to start talking about it and take it seriously. But we'll just have to wait and see. As I said, next season, different conditions, hopefully. So we shouldn't have anything like that. But I certainly don't agree that we should be pushing drivers to the absolute limit in terms of what's safe to actually go racing. Because, of course, you know, we have to consider what they're actually doing. They're not just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They're driving Formula One cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that comparison again to football, like footballers are wearing short sleeve shirts, socks and shorts, and whereas F1 drivers got like multiple layers of fire protection suit and then they're sat in a Formula One car and like a football player can just drench themselves in water if they want. And we found out with Alonso that that's not even allowed, like you're not allowed to throw any water on them. So yeah, like I just think more safety, more like concern about the driver's well being is is always gonna be better, I think absolutely and you know people were saying why couldn't they do that for him i think well first thing that comes to mind is that it's an electrically powered car you don't want to be throwing water on a live car you'd be roasting alonso even more than he already was so uh yeah well you know we'll put that one to bed i thought we might as well just mention that scene as we brought it up but going back to uh the topic at hand uh andretti now at this point, Sam, as we've already mentioned, there were four teams that got to the final stages of the application process. That was Andretti Cadillac, High Tech, Roading Cars, formerly Carlin, and Lucky Season. Of those, Andretti Cadillac was the only one that the FIA formally proposed and accepted their application to now enter discussions with F1 and F1 management over the commercial rights to see if this can actually happen. How have we got to this position? Because we talked about this in January when the process was made known by Mohammed Ben Salim. We didn't know what this process was going to partake because we had previous examples in the past where if there was a need to have F1 teams, you could just literally accept them. You didn't really have to go to so much of a scru- uh, scrutineering process. Um, but this was very much more formal and a much more challenging criteria to me. So how have we got to this position now? where Andretti are going to be talking to F1 and F1 management, and it could create a scenario where there could be a huge political battle between F1's commercial rights holder and the FIA itself. Yeah, I think this expression of interest process has pretty much been made for Andretti, hasn't it? Like, I think Andretti have wanted on the grid since 2021. Like, they tried to buy, I think it was Sauber at the time, and they got they got rejected, or I think uh, Mario Andretti said it changed at the last minute. So then... The previous year, it was pretty much, okay, we want to be a team, we want to be a team, how do we do that? And like you said, beforehand, it was sort of, no one really knew, like it was a case that you'd buy a team or like in the situation of Haas, like you could you could come in and make your own team. And like, there was no set way of doing that, which sort of made it quite hard for any team to get in with it. And I think, like you mentioned, like the FIA have always been the more open to having more teams on the grid. And so I think it naturally made sense that they sort of, with more teams being interested, they they came up with this official process saying, look, we're going to check your financials, you can check your sporting ability, you can check basically you're able to do this. And like, I think the process took a lot longer than we all thought it would. I think when they opened in January, February, like, I think we were expecting about summertime and it's taken till early October till we finally got a decision. But it's good that the FIA have sort of done the, done the scrutiny made sure that andretti are fine they're going to be good and like and with regards to the other three applicants they've obviously failed for some reason like the fi haven't given big details on what part they didn't match criteria but like you said yeah we're now coming to this situation where it's going to be a bit of a civil war between fia and f1 really and like it's been like that for a long time like f1 f1 and fi have often clashed about things and like it's, it, there's been various winners over the years but it does now seem like Andretti is sort of like, I don't know, like a power move by the FIA saying like, look, we demand, we'll, not demand, but like we say these should be on the grid, like show us why they shouldn't kind of thing. But the ultimate decision does come with FOM, like they, they have they have the yes or no ability. So I think it's going to be very messy. I think I don't really know what's going to happen next. I still, I'm still of the opinion that I don't think Andretti will get on the grid. I just think the resistance from the existing 10 teams who obviously have a big say they don't have a direct vote, but they have a big say within the FOM that I think that's going to ultimately 
me and Andretti get said no. And I think that's going to be quite a bad look for the sport. I mean, I, I think you'd be hard to find fans who wouldn't want Andretti. I, I mean, I can't see a logical reason why a fan of any team wouldn't want Andretti on their grid. Like, the F1 team's main concern is that they're going to lose money and we as fans don't have any of that money. So, like, what's our concern about them going on the grid other than maybe you're following what your team's saying? But, yeah, I think it's a very, very messy situation. I don't know how long... I mean, we, we, the other thing is we have no real time frame on this. Like, we've had this FIA process, which t- took a lot longer than we expected it to. And now we've got this F1 process where we've got no real idea, like, what's going on with that. Like, they've sort of said, yes, we've noted your your investigation. But, like, that sort of implies they want to do their own. They want to get their own due diligence out of the way. And so, yeah, I think we've got these two parties now who are jostling for basically, like, the power of F1, saying, like, we are the ultimate sayers. and like. I don't know who's going to win. I think, like I said, I think Andretti is still quite... If I had to put it at odds, I'd be like 70% they're not going to get on the grid. So we'll see. But like, yeah, I think it's just going to get a very messy situation. One that's not going to be a great look for F1 ultimately. Yeah, very much so. And I think this is going to be a political war almost that is very much... It's been a slow burner, as you said, because of that process. We weren't really aware of how this process was going to play out. We, we'd we had previous examples and stuff that was published, but in terms of the full uh, disclosure of the details, we weren't really privy to that. So this has taken some time. Now we've got to this stage. I'm sure a lot of people from the outside probably think, well, they'll probably be forgiven for thinking, well, surely it should be simple and done as dusted, really. Andretti are now going to be an F1 team. But of course, there is that complicated matter now of entering negotiations and discussions with F1 and FOM for the, over the commercial rights and the Concord Agreement, etc., etc. And of course, that will be factored in by all of the existing teams that are currently, if you like, franchisees, if you like, of this uh, overall uh, organization that we know and love as F1. So in terms of the actual process itself, Sam, now that we've got some details of the selection criteria that Andretti and the other prospective entries would have had to have gone through and met in order to get to this stage by which only Andretti managed to complete all of that, what are your thoughts on that process? Were you surprised by how detailed and how focused on uh, and, and I want to use this carefully because I think this is quite important, the discussion focused on not only adding value or to an existingly booming uh, franchise that is F1 at the moment, but already being having the finances and stability available um, coming into the sport, that you're not going to be a drain on it financially in the same way that other existing entries were in the past that came into F1 when a desire was to have more teams, but just never had the financial backing to make that last in the long term. Yeah, I think it's been quite a good job actually by the FAA. Yes, it took a long time, but like at the same time, it's the first time they've done it. Like you sort of give them a bit of slack, and it's it's more important that they get it right now than that make a fool of themselves later on. Like there's this famous like there's obviously this thing in the football comparison where it's like the fit and owners fitted like fit and proper ownership tests or like they where the football league sort of test owners, and it's it's known to be useless. Like you could you could be anyone and pass it. So it's good that the FIA have made this really quite strict criteria and like they took their time to make sure that everyone, that Andretti ultimately do pass it. And I think you're right. Like that's, that's been done to prevent us having this situation where you have teams that join and they're gone again. And like, it's not a good look for formula one as a whole. And I think maybe that's more, that's sort of some of this come about a lot more recently is sort of thinking about the sport in broader, broader terms. Like, in the past, I think teams were focused on themselves. They weren't really bothered about if another team cropped up and they disappeared. But now I think teams, especially as well as the organisation, has realised that a stronger F1, a more healthier F1 is a better product to sell and like that's going to ultimately help them. So I think that's sort of what F1 teams currently are using as their concern. But if, if, if the FIA have said Andretti have the money behind them and they have the capabilities behind them. I think that's not really an argument you can make anymore. Like they've shown that, at least by the FIA standards, which does seem to be quite straight, that they're not going to be a kind of team that appears and just disappears within a few seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And this was laid out in this selection criteria. And I want to pull these two particular criteria out just to kind of back the point that you made, uh, one of which was the, the ability of the team to meet and comply with its obligations under the F1 sporting, technical and financial regulations. And the f- second one was a detailed business plan 
including financial projections for the first five years of the project. Now, that is quite critical because how many teams, Sam, could we remember, like, as long as we've known and watched F1, that teams have come into the sport and as little as two, even three years after that, they pull out because of lack of funding or perhaps famously in the case of Super Aguri, for example, they were just denied entry to one race because everybody knew they didn't have the money. So it was almost fruitless them continuing to participate when they were just securing more and more debt for themselves. Yeah, I think ultimately, like I said, like you've got to protect the brand a bit. Like you don't want to have these teams appear and just disappear because that does look embarrassing. Like it sort of points flaws into the system. So yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think that was ever likely to happen with Andretti. Like they're obviously quite a big name. Like you sort of, they've, they've got experience racing in a lot of other series. Like they clearly know what they're doing. And like, I think a lot of the skills, especially with IndyCar, I think a lot of the skills are probably transferable to F1. So they probably, they'll be fine in that regard. But yeah, I think, the FIA couldn't show favoritism really. They couldn't say like Andretti can come in and no one else. So like I can understand why they've gone through this process. And like, I would like to know why the other ones failed. Was it financial? Was it sporting or whatever? But yeah, I think it's been a good thing that at least we know if Andretti get to the grid, I think they're likely to stay for a long time. Like I I can't imagine a situation where they get on the grid and they're gone within two years, especially after all the work they've put in to try and, try and get on the grid in the first place. That's very important in the context of what's going on here because it very much illustrates the divide in opinion between what F1 and the FOM want and in addition to that, the teams as well by extension and what the FIA want. And what it ultimately comes down to is the FIA via Mohammed Ben Salayim wants more teams in the sport, maybe fewer races as he was quoted in saying the other day. And then F1 and FOM, They want to protect their revenue streams. They want to protect the existing franchise. And it may not necessarily be about what can Andretti offer that provides more money to us over the long term. They pretty much want to make sure that an 11th team doesn't take a piece of the pie that the other 10 are currently enjoying and have played a huge part in building up over the last five or so years. Yeah, you're right. FOM essentially doesn't want to annoy the current teams like, I think every team, maybe barring McLaren, have sort of had an issue with Andretti. And like, you can see why. It's all money related. Like, if someone came to you and said, oh, we've got another employee joining the group, like, but he's going to take a small percentage of your wage, you'll be like, well, that doesn't seem very fair, like, kind of thing. Like, you can understand, like, I don't sort of, re- I don't sort of object to the F1 team sort of having an issue with it. It's like, they don't care that it's Andretti. Like, they do, they, it means nothing to them that they're of course an historic brand or whatever and kind of thing like that like ultimately their job is to survive as a formula one team like yes we're talking about when the likes of mercedes and red bull say that obviously you think well you'll be fine but going lower down the grid like you've got teams like Haas who obviously have always quite struggled not struggled financially but like hadn't had it worse off than the others and they've gone through this pandemic and they've survived and i think they do they are entitled to feel a bit like well we were there when it was really bad like we were there when we weren't racing we had no fans like we were losing money and now now that it's all good now that it's all rosy now that we've got 23 24 races whatever it is next year and you you want to get a piece of that like that's understandable but like why should we suffer so i think ultimately it comes down to it's always been about money but like it's that anti-dilution fund that's been raised like so in the current Concord Agreement, it's set at 200 million. Am I right with that? Or is it 500 million? Well, no, million it's, it's it? set yeah. at 200 million, but there yeah. have been rumours about the teams potentially wanting as much as 600 million collectively. Yeah. And whilst it's never been confirmed, that is kind of the going rate that we're expecting to see at the moment. I mean, it could be as much as a billion at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, this fund is currently set at 200 million, which in, is the idea that it's supposed to offset any loss. I think. It was decided many years ago and like the sport has massively evolved since then. So I think teams are right to say that's not fair value anymore. And like maybe that's a way to get Andretti on the grid is to sort of sit down and say, look, what's an ideal figure? A reasonable figure because if they say like two billion, like Andretti will be like, well, we, we're not going to do that. But if they can find like a happy medium, like a happy middle way point, then maybe that's a way to get one of the grid. But I don't know, there just seems like there's some parties that are, are, are going to be against it regardless of what happens, like, regardless of how much Andretti stump up. Because I think looking at the Andretti project so far, they've sort of crossed, well, they've jumped through every hoop that's been asked to them. Like, it was like, what value are you going to bring? It's like, well, we, we're going to be an American team. We're going to really be that audience. And like, and it's like, okay, you need an original engine manufacturer behind us. Like, well, we've got 
General Motors, who are one of the biggest brand, biggest car manufacturers in the world. Yes, they're not going to make engines straight away, but maybe they would do them down the line. And like, and still, having done all that, like, they're still not allowed in. So I think, yeah, like, ultimately it's money, but I think some teams are just just don't want to have them in in the sport for whatever reason. Well, it, it pretty much comes down to money, though, doesn't it? I mean, we can t- we can look at all the rationale and the reasons that everyone's putting forward. Ultimately, what it comes down to is the FIA and Andretti trying to deliver what the fans want. And and again, we talked about this earlier. Whilst it's very easy to get behind this from a fan's perspective, we don't necessarily care about the financial implications. We just want to see more teams on the grid, maybe fewer races. I know that was something Mohamed Ben Salayim said, but I'd be very surprised if 100% of all F1 fans said, yeah, the Canada's too big. We don't want any more races. I think it's kind of, we don't want any more races than what we currently got. Maybe if they took one or two off, if they don't really add any value Fair enough, you know, whatever mechanism or logistics you can get around making the Canada better from an environmental perspective and for the teams and drivers in terms of workload, fair enough. I'm sure fans would be fine with that one. I remember a time when we probably had about two thirds of what races are on the calendar now. And to be honest, I was absolutely fine with that. But there you go. But it comes down to that. And of course, the financial element of what the teams want and the existing franchise wants. And both of them are equally valid for their own reasons. I don't think as fans, we should side with the FIA primarily and Andretti to say, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we want and neglect what F1 and the existing teams are looking out for. We have to consider both sides here, even if as fans materialistically it doesn't really matter whether we get one or the other in that regard we get you know neither of them belong to us in that cup regard we're just fans but in terms of what the f1 teams are asking for and the adjustment period uh, or the adjustment to this anti-dilution fund it does start to raise some questions about whether or not it's purely focused around greed at this point And I use that word loosely because there was a time not too long ago, Sam, where Andretti were thinking of buying into Sauber, as you mentioned already, and everybody was absolutely fine with it. The F1 teams had no objections. Yep, you can come in, you can be a new 10th team rather than be an additional team. And it pretty much emphasizes the fact that they had no problem with Andretti coming in and adding value to an exist to a brand that perhaps was struggling to add value and perhaps bring more money in. But now it's the case of well, we don't want you in the sport because we want to, We don't want an 11th team. Is it as simple as F1 basically saying to the world right now that it's a closed shop because they want to maximise the revenue they already have? Or is there something more to it than just that? Um, no, I, I think it's largely the case. Like, I think if you take it away, the sporting element, and just think these are businesses, like which business CEO or like leader is going to, sign up to something that's going to cut their profits like that's just not something that's going to happen like that's that's ultimately the cause that's ultimately the reason behind this like sort of backlash but i think maybe there is a sporting element behind it so i think andretti i I can't imagine they're gonna try and join the sport just to be like also ran so i think yeah i think it might obviously can take a few years but i i think they're going to want to start battling for championships at some point so maybe maybe the top teams in the grid are also like, well, why do we want that? It's already really competitive. Like, we don't want another one trying to compete with us, especially with Audi coming down the line as well. So maybe there's a sporting element behind it. But yeah, I think ultimately it is financial. Like I said, a business just isn't going to vote for itself to lose a bit of money. Like, that's just not going to happen in any business, regardless of F1. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because... As I said, you know, whilst Andretti was trying to buy into an existing team and perhaps knocking a few noses out a joint in throughout that process, which probably didn't help him in that regard in terms of how favourable F1 was to try and have them on the grid. Um, it did feel to me that some fans may come at this and feel that, oh, well, the existing F1 teams don't want another big manufacturer coming in and adding more competition, given the fact that F1 and the F1 teams are still trying to add this line or push this line to the audience that this is the elite of the elite. This is the, you know, the cream of the crop, if you like, of F1 manufacturers. And we only allow the best in when, of course, we've got a manufacturer like uh, General Motors and Cadillac supporting Andretti, who have rich racing pedigree in other series, trying to get into the sport and perhaps maybe make this Team America thing work, which... I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. We've got three F1 races on the calendar. The F1 American market is starting to boom. And when the Vegas Grand Prix comes around in a few weeks time, that's going to be absolutely mega for it. So why not have an all American brand on the F1 grid? Surely that makes financial sense. Does it not? 
Yeah, it does. But I think if I'm being at playing devil's advocate, I'm going to say, like, if I'm Turtle Wolf, I'm saying, well, we've already got three races in America, like, viewership's up. Like, if this had been something that's done, like, 10 years ago, I think they might have had a better argument in that regard. But I think now you could say, look, we've already we've already got three races, we're already getting a lot of money from America. Like, what more are you going to bring? But um, I think on the flip side of that, I think there is now sort of, I don't know, I think like I, it's hard to know because obviously I don't live there. I don't interact with um, a lot of Americans, but I feel like there's definitely sort of not a backlash, but like a bubbling resentment that, okay, you're going to race in our country. You're going to charge us sky high tickets. But when we want to get sort of representation on the grid, like you're going to have a problem with that. Like, I think there's a lot of us viewers would be like, well, sort of being, being a bit disenchanted by that saying, well, you have to take all our money, but like when we actually race, especially with a family like Andretti, we've got such a rich history. Like you still have a problem with that. So I think you can argue it like pro and pro and con really, but I think I think I'm sort of favouring sort of going with the US market, saying like yes, there's an American team, but they operate largely out of England and in Italy. And I think if there was a team that was based in the US and only had like very, maybe satellite. Uh, Based in the UK or whatever, I think that's more like to grip an American audience who who is starting to feel a bit like okay, you're just taking our money now. Yeah, well, this is exactly it. I mean, in terms of representation, excluding the free races that we currently had, and but of course, Austin was obviously, um, you know, it was it's not an old race. It's been on the calendar what since 2016, 2017, or something like that. Um, and it's been proven to be very, very actually, no, it's probably even earlier than that. Excuse me, but it's been proven to be very, very popular and. In terms of representation on the actual grid itself, obviously we have Logan Sargent, but I bid you right now, with all respect to Logan Sargent, because we love Logie Sarge, but if I was to ask a random person who'd only watched F1 a little bit to name me one person involved in F1 right now that actually represents America or is part of that American representation, I'm pretty certain most people would probably think Zach Brown is the obvious example. And, and he's not even a driver. You know, he, he's not even a team principal. He's the CEO uh, of McLaren. And, you know, a, a great job he has done and probably a huge factor in bringing America back to F1 after a period for a long time since the 2005 Indianapolis Grand Prix where F1 probably wanted to go away. And I think it comes from that um, point you mentioned, Sam, that, you know, American F1 fans are looking for representation because they love their motorsport and they're falling in love with F1. Drive to Survive obviously played a huge part in that as well. I mean, we saw the turnout for the uh, the race in Austin last season. It was incredible. And I imagine it will be just as, if not more incredible uh, this season when they go there next week. You get to a point where they will put their money into the sport, but if they're getting nothing back in terms of actual representation, there will be that resentment that will grow for F1 and perhaps it will drive them away to a point where they may never actually ever come back. Yeah, you you risk getting your fingers burnt if you sort of, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to sort of recover that if they do start to turn away in their droves. I think, I think we've started to see the Vegas race maybe isn't selling as well as they wanted it to, but, what what do you expect when it's so expensive? Not just the tickets, <laughs> tickets are like half a million quid. Like, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Who's like, going to buy that? Yeah, and for a new race, which you don't know how good, especially this season, where it's where everything's over now. Like basically, like um, yeah, I think you've got to be quite careful. Yes, it was. I think a lot of the work that Liberty Media have done in the US has been really good, and I think they've really made an effort to sort of capitalize on that American audience. It's just sort of now what happens about step two, like what's phase two of that plan, and I think keeping the American fans on the side is going to be quite a hard task if you're so so keen on to make as much money as you can as, as possible, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind about how much money it's going to cost at Vegas just to actually attend the Grand Prix, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, you, you've seen that meme on the internet where the caption is, oh, who sold the house? Like my parents saying, who sold the house? And then there's me uh, buying a general admission ticket to attend the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It literally could not be any more realistic than that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, yeah, it- crazy prices. Yeah, it's just mad. Like I think we've known it's coming for a while, and the fact that it's getting closer and closer, I'm I'm seeming like I've seen more and more adverts for it. So I don't know. It must not be. They must be having a few issues flogging those million dollar tickets that are up in the Hilton or whatever they are. 
Yeah, absolutely crazy. I mean, I know it's Vegas, but I mean, come on, who has that kind? Of, I mean, I know there are people that have that kind of money, but if you have that kind of money, you're not going to be spending that much on a ticket. You're going to be doing something else or something a more corporate nature, similar to what we saw in Miami, but this is going to be on another level altogether. Um, in, in terms of the arguments from the teams, because of course, we have talked a lot about why potentially we might be favoring the fan opinion, which is not a surprise as fans. We're obviously going to be leaning towards wanting to have more teams on the grid and more competition. But when we consider what F1, and in particular the 10 F1 teams at the moment, have had to say, all of them have been aligned in that they don't want an 11th team. uh, And primarily because they say that they've built this franchise up to what it is at the moment. Uh, An 11th team wouldn't add value. If anything, it would take value away from the rest of us. We're all trying to invest at the moment to try and improve things for the sport and improve things for the overall show and the fans uh, be that with their own teams and obviously collectively that will have a a positive outcome do we really buy that as a legitimate excuse and, and I want to give an example here if I may and this isn't to isolate them there have been a few teams in particular that have mentioned similar examples but I very much remember James Vows the other day at Williams and he was talking about even though this is a cost cap era and the cost cap is going down and down in times where prices are rising. So obviously, you know, you're being hit with both barrels in terms of how much harder it is year on year to stay within this cost cap. Um, They've had to invest as much as 20 million pounds on improving infrastructure at the team because it's a team that's had facilities that as the years have gone by have become increasingly outdated and not as good as what they, they used to have in comparison to the top teams when they were at their pomp in the late nineties. And you know, there are plenty, there are a couple thousand people working at the factories. Obviously, their livelihoods are at stake. They've got mortgages to pay. We can't afford to lay off people whilst we're doing that. And bringing in an 11th team will eat into the revenue that we desperately need to make sure that those people and what we're trying to do continues to happen rather than laying people off. Now, I know that appeals to the emotional side of things. And obviously, as a human being, as a fan, you are going to care about that. But when we're in a cost cap era, and revenues are increasing at the rate they are. And we've got a prospective entry like Andretti, an all-American team in a market where it's being boomed because of this expansion in America. Does that really hold up um, as a fair rationale excuse for why we shouldn't permit not just Andretti, but any prospective 11th team trying to come onto the grid at this moment in time? Mm, I think it's a bit short-termism, maybe. I think. I can understand Williams in particular because, like, like Val said, like they're doing a lot of work and like they're spending a lot of money. He used a weird term which I've never heard anyone describe before. He described them as lossy, which I've never heard a financial <laughs> advisor say. Oh, you're a bit lossy. And I was like, oh, okay, that seems like a pleasant way to say we're losing money. As but... an accountant, I've never actually heard that phrase used before okay, that good. as well. So I'm glad good, you brought yeah. that up because I thought that was I think a bit. You should odd. start using it. It's it's sort of it's sort of softened the blow that you're losing money. It's like, oh, we're a bit lossy. Like, oh, okay, that sounds fine. But um, yeah, aside from James Val's weirder uh, terminology for losing money, um, I can I can understand why he in particular is sort of hesitant to this. Like, he's got a job to sort of push Williams back up the grid to where they were, and like he is the one person. I mean, if you ever in a press conference or sit down with James Val's, like you can guarantee at some point he's going to say capex because like that's his favorite subject. Like, he's oh, yeah. so yeah, he loves talking about how much money they're not allowed to spend. Um. So yeah, like his whole goal at the moment is sort of refurb, like essentially rebooting Williams, sort of like I don't know, like a, a Marvel film, like they used to. Like he's his goal is to make them what they were, kind of thing. Like and yes, he's going to have a few issues with. Well, we've planned all this out, like we sort of predicted where m- our money is going to come from. If we're now seeing a loss, that's going to be quite bad for us in the short term. Like maybe we won't be able to do the same factory. So he he's been the. I mean, I used to say that Total Wolf was the biggest opponent, but like after his interview on Saturday, whether it was Sunday or maybe even Friday, like his he was so adamantly against it. Like it was the, he, a lot of the other team principals sort of sat on the sat on the fence saying, Oh, we don't know, we're waiting to see what happened. But he was like, No, we don't like this, like we're not having it kind of thing. So I can understand why he more than most would be like that, but I do think it's a bit short termism. Like you could sort of say that, okay. The fact that it's Andretti, like the fact that it's such a big name, the fact that they've got General Motors with them, you can sort of see that yes, they'll bring value. Like they will eventually. Maybe there'll be a different revenue for the first couple of years, and like, but it should bounce back. But I think most teams should adopt that grid. But yeah, I do, do sort of sympathise with Williams because like they they've got this big transformation project going on. Like they've sort of 
done all their finances and especially when they've got one driver keeps crashing and pushing that bill up even further they don't want anyone else to be like we're gonna take even more more of your money away so a bit of sympathy for vows but i think overall teams should sort of look a bit further ahead and sort of realize that they're not going to lose a load of value going into the, the next decade or whatever well it's how it looks on paper and i think the f1 teams obviously care, obviously care about that and of course if andretti can reliably provide um, financial projections that are going to look favourable to those teams and agree on an anti-dilution fee which suits both sides. I don't expect it to be $600 million. It's certainly not going to be $200 million. It's going to be somewhere potentially in between where everybody can work with. Maybe, just maybe, this could work. And I'm I'm leaning more in the hopeful camp rather than the expected. I'm like you. I'm like, I just feel this is going to be dragged on for a long, long time. Legal battles are going to ensue and it's going to get very, very messy. Um, it's certainly going to be one to keep an eye on, of course. I'm just hopeful it will reach a resolution where we get an 11 team because I'm a fan. I just want to see more teams in the grid. And why shouldn't America have representation of a proper F1 team? I know people will come and point out to me and say, oh, well, Haas are the obvious example. They were the last team granted entry onto the grid as a new team. They obviously come from an American brand, but it's not the same. It's American branding. And Haas don't even utilize that to the nth degree either. It's very European for an American outfit. And, I, and I'm sure American fans, they're smart enough. They know they can see through that anyway. And and look, I, I love what Haas are doing, but for them to run around and call themselves America's F1 team, it's it, it's not really true in that regard. People can see through that. Um, that all being said, of course, we, you know, we can't discourage some of the arguments being made by other team principals. As I said, Gunther Stein has been very vocal on this. Uh, Lawrence Stroll gave his address to the nation style of speech that he does with a lot of things. Um, I was funny enough, I was watching Drive to Survive the other day and it was um, back at the time where Racing Point were found to have um, breached the uh, regulations on their uh, pink Mercedes, if you like. And then Lawrence Stroll gave a huge address about that. And it reminded me of what he did the other day with Mm. Aston Martin. I just thought this guy is really, if he was president, he would have that one nailed down on how to address people or prime minister, if you like, of course, you know, being Canadian there different for them but um all jokes aside you know you, you look at all of that and I absolutely sympathize with James Vowles in that regard and I don't want to pick on Williams in particular I just wanted to bring that up as an example but for me I just can't help but feel that this is just the F1 teams all lining up to say look we're protecting our own financial assets here we're not going to be allowing another team to come in when we've built this all up from the ground up to a certain degree and Fans are just going to have to live with it. I just don't see how that's going to sit well with fans if F1 and the FOM say no to Andretti's approval. I suppose the next question is, Sam, can they simply just say no at this point? I think, yeah, they can. Like, they can say no. Like, they have the ultimate decision. I don't think they have to give... Like, said, like, like we said, that there's no real process with this before. Like, they can just turn around and say, no, we don't want you kind of thing. But while that's possible, like, on a technical um side of things like it's like can they survive that uh, like social opinion of doing that of just flatly turning out and say no maybe they find a good reason to say look we can't do it for this this and this and maybe there's a bit more understanding but yeah if they just come off the bat come out the gate or whatever and say no we don't want you that's going to have huge effects not just i mean in particular in the u.s market but i think you could ask any fan and you think well that's that's not on really kind of thing like that shouldn't be the way it is. So yeah, they've got, I, I mean, it's a stressful time within F1. Like, I can't imagine it's going to be an enjoyable place to be at the moment trying to work out what to do next. But yeah, I think it's very interesting to sort of keep an eye on, see see what they do. But yeah, it's a tough decision. Like they obviously want to keep the F1 teams on side, but they also want to keep their fans and essentially the people who pay their wages on side. So good luck to them. I'm glad I'm not the one in that position. No, very much so. I, I wouldn't want to be Stefano Domenicali right now. That is going to be a very tough one to put through now obviously if the FIA had simply said no and Andretti didn't meet the criteria then this would have been fine uh we wouldn't have to worry about it if they'd aligned if they'd been able to find a way to align with F1 and the FOM on their stance on on how to do this process perhaps things would have been a bit easier perhaps if Andretti weren't working everybody's noses out of joint when they were trying to get on the grid before things might have been a little bit more easier but we're in this position now where what effectively happens now is Andretti will be entering discussions with F1 and F1 management. And of course, the the existing teams will, I don't think they'll be directly involved, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of influence coming from them and their particular team principals and CEOs on 
what should be going on during these discussions or what they should be looking for in terms of their additional criteria. Um, and this is mentioned specifically by uh, F1. And in terms of the overall process now, Sam, how how long do we expect this to take? Because, you know, the idea was Andretti was thinking about entering the grid in 2025, not necessarily 2026, as some people thought they might do. And perhaps more logically, perhaps they should look towards doing. But this could take months and months, maybe even a year or so before we actually get to a conclusion one way or the other. Yeah, honestly, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you, like, you, you could be right, it could be months, it could be years, like, I have no idea. I think, I think Andretti have sort of said 2025, slash 26, they want to get on the grid, but I don't know, it's a very long process. Like you said, it's so vague, we don't really know what's going on. So unfortunately, I can't tell you, like, I think your guess is as good as mine as to, as to how long this might take. And I'm just pulling a potential date out of my rear end at this point because I, I have no idea either. I mean, I could be saying this and by the time this episode comes out, they've reached an agreement or F1 have just said no. Um, if one, of course, do say no uh, to Andretti's application and that ends it in their eyes, how important is it going to be for F1 to get the wording and the rationale as watertight as possible to avoid potential legal ramifications, which may or may not come regardless of what they do after all of this? Yeah, I think that's likely to be legal regard regard um legal repercussions anyway. Like I think Andrea probably got a case. I think I saw someone mention on Twitter, so I don't know how true this is, but obviously like America have anti monopolization laws, the Liberty Media is an American company, so whether that's something that goes down. But yeah, you have got to write a very well crafted uh press release to say this is why we've done this, to sort of try and cool the fires and like you said, not leave yourself open more than you should be. But I think I could see a situation regardless of what happens, then then legal cases will be launched to sort of say we've been unfairly denied. But yeah, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't tell you <laughs> can't tell you what they'll involve. But yeah, that may be another thing, even after we've had the final decision that sort of keeps this story going on. Yeah, of course. And from a fan perspective, I think the one good thing F1 has is they won't need the FIA to write the press release for them. Because historically, we know the FIA have not been very good at writing mm. uh, what we would consider watertight and scrutiny-free press releases in the yeah. past. So F1 will obviously <laughs> have that fun challenge to look forward to. Um, in terms of a fan perspective, of course, we've talked about this already. The general consensus from what I've been seeing is that we want, not necessarily Andretti, but we want an 11th team on the F1 grid. And if that happens to be Andretti Cadillac uh, via General Motors, of course, then, you know, so be it. If it's, if it's a good enough entry and it meets all the criteria, who are we to say no? But that's obviously going to be a big part as well because when they talk about protecting revenue streams, not just in America, but other fans as well around the world that might be seeing this thinking, oh, well, we want more drivers in the sport. We want more teams in the sport. We want more competition. And basically F1 and the FOM saying no, in addition to the teams as well, to the Andretti application, is basically saying to fans, well, we're a closed shop. We don't want prospective new teams coming in. We don't care about what you want from the competition. This is our product. You're just going to have to learn to love it. That's obviously going to be quite critical as well. Yeah, I think that's going to, like we said, it's just going to create sort of bad blood and like a bad, a sour taste in the mouth is probably a better word between the fans saying, okay, well, we're not getting what we wanted. Like, I think it's obviously not a democracy. It's a private company. That's absolutely fair enough. But like, you've got to sort of keep fans on board and like, this could be, especially in the US market, like something that really fractures that relationship and like, I don't know how you come back from that, Red. Well, it's already becoming quite difficult at the moment to maintain the existing interest because I've not mentioned this once on the show before, but we have seen quite recently reports coming out saying that social media interest and viewing interest in F1 has decreased uh, compared to what it was last season. And in part, that is because we currently have a situation right now where we have an incredible driver in Max Verstappen and an incredible team in Red Bull winning all of the races. And fans in general just like, well, if the sport is going to be so dominated by one or two teams in particular and we're not increasing the potential for more competition, why are we going to invest in watching this sport? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it has been an unfortunate time that, like you said, the season's been so dominant by one team that, yeah, these fans that were promised like, it's 2021 kind of seasons every year, that's suddenly not going to happen. Like, obviously, you've got to sort of reset that, but... I think you've got to play very carefully. Like we've had, we've got a sort of drive to five generation that was sort of promised a really exciting battle every year. And it's just not been the case. And you sort of 
you've got to look through the history of F1 and realize that does tend to that does tend to happen and like close battles tend to be quite a rare thing and that's why we sort of remember them more more than we remember the seasons where everyone wins kind of thing but yeah I think F1 could have done with like an exciting season just for this on this regard that like they could have they would have they would have probably found it easier to reject Andretti if they said look look how good it is currently we don't want to ruin this kind of thing but the fact that we've got quite well not quite an uncompetitive like a very uncompetitive title race like I think fans are clamoring for something to break that up really and if that's an 11th team then that's going to be their way they're going to do it absolutely and they have to be very clear that if Andretti do not meet the criteria uh, and in particular the two that F1 were interested in were the financial ones that I mentioned before about adding value and being able to sustain a minimum five-year term for this project with financial backing those are obviously going to be quite critical and it's going to be very hard for F1 to simply just say, no, we're not having, we're not allowing this to happen for such and such reason. They have to be very careful about how they word it um, to see how things go in the future. In terms of the value element of this, Sam, before we wrap things up, on the surface, an Andretti uh, team backed by Cadillac and General Murtas sounds wonderful. It sounds like, you know, this is the all-American team that F1 have been dreaming of and fans have really been hoping that would finally make its way to the grid. We've probably never had anything like what we would consider to be an all-star, all-American team on an F1 grid in its history. On the surface, it looks like we could finally about to have one, assuming that the Andretti application goes for F1 and the FOM. Again, big assumption at this point in time we have to wait and see people have argued about the value of this and f1 teams have kind of inferred that they're still unclear as to how much of this andretti cadillac general motors back and how much general motors are actually involved in this is it just a badging exercise in the same way that we've seen with for example aston martin you know, Lawrence Stroll purchasing shares in Aston Martin Lagonda, using the branding and the naming to turn the team into Aston Martin, but it has no direct link or connection to the Aston Martin manufacturer whatsoever. How how critical do you think that could be when they start to uncover all the details as to what this Andretti Cadillac General Motors bid actually is? Yeah, I think that relationship, yeah, I said it's quite vague at the moment, but I think there is some like technical help not help, but like assistance between um, Andretti and General Motors. Like they, uh, from the way they first announced it, it seemed like yes, the car's going to be made by Andretti, but they're going to rely on the knowledge and resources of, of GM more than Aston Martin. Like you said, like that was just a badging exercise. So I don't think it'd be a direct badging exercise. Obviously, you sort of <clears throat> you begin to wonder like, are they going to become their own engine manufacturers? Kind of thing. Like, is that something that's going to happen? Like. But getting onto the grid is one thing, like, and then spending the the next amount of money to try and do that. Like, I can see a situation where that does happen, like, in the future. But I think it sort of seems like I don't know. Renault was the one that was put forward as the potential supplier. Like, whether that happens straight away. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm not privy exactly to what happens where, but like, it does seem from the outside that there's more connection there. There's more work going on between like I said, Aston Martin or maybe even like Red Bull and Ford that's going to happen mm. in a few years' time. Like, I think, yeah, this does seem to be a bit more of a partnership than than other examples. So I think that should... I mean, yeah, also, I think someone like General Motors would want to put their own print on F1. Like, they, they are a huge company and, like, they probably don't want to just be... have their name there for the sake of it. So, like, if they can help, help Andre to make a better team, then I'm sure they'll do that kind of thing. Yeah, let's hope so. I really hope it's more the former and we don't end up with a situation where if Andretti get approved onto the F1 grid, they turn up and it's an Andretti car powered by whichever engine manufacturer that is existing in the sport right now. And then they just slap a General Motors or Cadillac badge on it, like in the same way Red Bull are currently going to do with Ford. Uh, and mm-hmm. develop their own engine via Red Bull powertrains. We don't want that. We want the manufacturer element as well. And that would be really, really cool for a fan's perspective. I'm sure there are some fans who just don't care. We just want a new team on the grid. As long as they're good, who actually cares who powers it at the moment? Um, obviously, final thing I think we need to talk about in terms of the value element as well. Uh, some of the existing teams have talked, you know, about value of uh, Andretti and what they would they really add much to F1 I suppose the bigger question comes in terms of a response is well 
should we be looking at what value some of the existing teams add into Formula One? Because, you know, we talked brands, we've got Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, obviously they add massive value to the sport already. Um, Alpine, that's questionable, I suppose, to some degree. But again, it's the, the Renault connection there. Obviously, that's where that value comes from. Aston Martin, obviously, that's been a huge selling point to many people, even though, as we've already established, it's not Aston Martin, the manufacturer. But you strip all other way. People don't really care. It's it's doing well at the front. McLaren existing. But then you look at some of the other teams. Um, you know, Williams, we talked about earlier. And I do apologise to Williams fans. I'm not bashing them, you know, intentionally. But I do think this is rather relevant. Williams are a team that in the modern era, don't offer that much value, in my opinion, to Formula One. It's more of a a historic legacy thing, and they're trying to get back to that. Obviously, there's a story there, but that's probably as far as it goes. Uh, Alfa Romeo, which obviously becomes Sauber next year, before Audi come along. What value do they currently add right now? Haas, we talked about them as well. You know, technically, they are an American team, but other than that, what do they add? Uh, Red Bull sister team, Alfa Tauri. What do they really add? They're just basically at this point, they're just a junior team to a lot of people and maybe even to Red Bull. It's just until they become at a point where they're worth so much that they can sell them on for a nice profit. You just don't know. They've always talked about that. So is it really fair to place that what value do they add tag on Andretti when potentially half the grid right now don't add that much value to Formula One that's noteworthy at this point in time? Yeah, I think it would have been interesting to see how many of these teams would have passed that value test like themselves. Like it does seem to be very much like, Oh, well we're, we're in now, but like you can't come in. Like, why would you be allowed in? So yeah, you're right. A lot of the teams, I think maybe that's why they're so protective is they don't want to sort of get moved further down the pecking order, like in terms of not just sporting abilities, but popularity as well. Like I think, yeah, you're right. A lot of them don't have that unique selling point as much as others. Like, and I can see why, they're less less welcoming to someone who quite clearly does so yeah you're right it's very much i don't know what the word is it's not two-faced but someone like that where it's like where we it's got in rich. Without having, yeah it's a bit rich, pardon the pun the obviously yeah. yeah yeah it's like a bit like well we got in without having to pass these strict rules yeah we're going to be really strict to make sure you have to show us value because we're going to lose money so yeah but it goes back to what i said earlier just like businesses don't want to lose money like that's Hmm. not a surprising thing yeah of course and that's not me saying that they don't deserve their place on the f1 grid of course they do and they went through some very difficult periods where williams in particular with dorison capital they're very lucky to still be on the grid tough decisions had to be made there Haas have literally been on life support for many years in terms of f1 finances and have somehow come out of it the other side and are doing okay again which is obviously great to see we saw plenty of questionable sponsors in the past that have backed them to keep that going but they are here today because of all of that and that, and that's a good thing i just don't think it's really fair for them to be throwing that to, uh, tag towards andretti say they're not going to add much value when as you mentioned already sam it's questionable whether some of those entries would have passed the F1 litmus test or the FIA litmus test for an F1 team if that was around at the time. It certainly wasn't when Huss were around. So very interesting point. Um, uh, I'm not going to go further on that because I feel like I'm going to my, get myself in even more trouble with fans of those teams respectively. Um, I remember going to Silverstone earlier this season. I saw one Huss shirt throughout the entirety of the weekend and I'm pretty sure I saw a Mercedes shirt on the walk to the actual circuit before I left the door where I was staying. So... You know, there is there is definitely value where you can find it in F1. Anyway, look, um, off-tangent stuff aside, I think that's pretty much covered where we are at the moment. As I said, there's going to be plenty more to discuss on this as time goes on and we learn more about this. I'm sure, Sam, if you're happy to come back and talk to us about all of that stuff in great detail, I'd be happy to, uh, uh, well, indulge that request for our followers, of course, and definitely from me to have you back on, of course. Um, but, of course, before we sign off, I keep saying of course all the time. I've got to get out of the habit of doing that. Anyway, before we sign off, um, could you let our lovely followers and listeners know where they can check you out on the socials and, of course, with uh, your uh, company, um, where they can check out more of your content? Yeah, so on Twitter, or X, whatever it's called these days, I'm Sam Cooper underscore, and then yeah, I write for Planet F1. So if you're planetf1.com and you see my name, that's me kind of thing. Yeah, brilliant stuff. And uh, I'm not saying it because I'm biased, but I do love the content with Planet F1. Really great, insightful stuff and plenty of great work from Sam and many other great editors and journalists working for Planet F1 as well. Definitely do check them out. Of course, we'll leave all of that 
content links in the show notes and in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel. But until next time, guys, we'll be back to preview the American Grand Prix. Of course, both world championships are wrapped up at this point in time, but there are plenty of other stories to discuss. But until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, please stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.